This is the Less Doing Podcast with your host, Ari Mysel. Learn how to optimize, automate, and outsource and be more effective at everything. Today's interview with Ben Greenfield of Ben Greenfield Fitness is a pretty long one, so I'll keep this preamble pretty short. Today I tried stand-up paddle boarding with a friend of mine, something I've always wanted to try, or well, for a while at least, and uh, it was great. It was quiet and you're very connected with the water and it's all human-powered, obviously, and it was really amazing. And it gave me some time to reflect on things and clear my mind, which is something that I'm always talking about, and you'll hear Ben talk about it in the interview. So that's it. It was a busy day, but I got to end it on a stand-up paddleboard. So listen to this great interview with Ben Greenfield. Hey, Ben. Hey, what's up, Ari? Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, So first of all, you know, how did you, I know that you know, I've heard lots and lots of interviews with you, and I, you know, there's a long, very interesting story to kind of how you got here, but can you just give us sort of a couple minute sort of overview of how you became this guru of fitness? <laughs> uh, it, it, really, there there is no, um, there is no overnight path to success, and this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm always telling people, you just, you know, you, you put in the work and you learn, and I think really, Ari, like when it comes to becoming um, successful in whatever niche that you want to become successful in, part of it is just not straying from from the sector in which you find your passion. Like, I've always been passionate about health and fitness from the time I was, like, 13 years old and discovered that, you know, lifting 10-pound dumbbells helped me to be a better tennis player. And, you know, from that point on, all I've ever known is health and fitness and nutrition and studying it. And I've never really experimented or, or, you know, dabbled, so to speak, in other, um, you know, sectors. So for me, I've been learning about fitness, health, nutrition, biohacking, getting the most out of the human body, whatever, since I was a teenager. And it's just been a gradual journey. You know, I, I went to to university and I got my master's degree in exercise science and uh, did a, a self-directed in, in human nutrition and biomechanics and went on from there and packed on some, some personal training degrees and strength conditioning certifications and did a lot of work in, in the wellness sector, uh, worked as a, as a wellness consultant, worked in surgical sales a little bit, managed a bunch of gyms, opened my own personal training studios, started to churn out books and blogs and podcasts and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just one big journey and I have no clue what the hell I'm doing. I just kind of make it up as I go and uh, figure that as long as I continue to follow my passion for, for helping people you know, achieve amazing feats of physical performance. I'm, I'm happy. So, you know, it's it's just been kind of a gradual journey ever since I was a kid, really.
Hello? Hello? Hey, I lost you. Sorry. Uh, I said I think that's a really great example uh, and or a great explanation. And I think that, you know, a lot of people talk about following their passion, but a lot of people don't end up doing it. So it's nice to see an example of somebody not ignoring it and, and sort of making it happen. So uh, I, I actually I have a bunch of questions written down, but I, I'm realizing that I want to kind of attack this a, a little bit in reverse. So uh, you live in Spokane, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So did, is yeah. that where you grew up? You know, I, I grew up pretty close to here, North Idaho, uh, Eastern Washington. It's all just, you know, one big blur of, of rednecks and trees. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in Lewiston, Idaho, which is like two hours from here in North Idaho. And then I went to school in Moscow, Idaho, which is like an hour and a half from here. And then I moved to Post Falls, Idaho, which is like 20 minutes from here. And then finally, you know, I wound up slightly across the border in Spokane, where I am uh, building the house where I hope to die. So <laughs> there you go. So th- this is just uncovering sort of one more similarity with, with us, actually. That I mean, we'll we'll uncover a few more throughout this talk. But uh, so I three weeks ago, my wife and I moved into a home that we built that we are also hope to die in. We have our three kids, and we live in Bridgehampton, New York, which is you know in the eastern end of Long Island. And what I've sort of found, and it's not that surprising, but you know, you look at people like Mark Sisson and Dave Asprey and you and me, and, uh, you know, none of us are living in big cities. And I think that uh, that sort of like that being connected to nature is really in keeping with health and wellness, honestly. I think that's part of it. I think part of it, too, is not getting distracted by all of the the opportunities that are present in big cities like I have a lot of friends, for example, who live in L.A., and they're always doing masterminds and meetups and get-togethers. And <laughs> they're, like, there's value in that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I think that sometimes it can get so distracting. Like for me, you know, here in Spokane, Washington, it's usually about once a week that I'm off meeting with, with a local friend at a coffee shop or maybe meeting with a local businessman or woman or something like that. But it's it's really kind of few and far between because there's almost like – fewer opportunities to get distracted. And I mean, honestly, if I really wanted to here, I could sit in my house for like four days and just kind of kind of get stuff done and buckle down, you know, and do what I do, write books and stuff like that, and just not get distracted by people calling me up to come hang out because <laughs> we just don't do a lot of that here. And, and, no, and, and no, I totally get that. I was worried when we were moving out here. We moved out here from New York and from the city, and uh, I was concerned that I might be less productive out here, but the truth is, is that I'm about 15 times more productive because, as you said, there's, you know, my my good friends aren't being like, hey, man, I'm around the corner, like, can you meet for coffee? And then either you go or you feel bad about not going, so um, I, I've, I've been able to use that to my advantage, so I just, I just thought that was worth pointing out. Uh, on, so we're going to get to wellness, of course, but I want to talk about productivity first. So you are clearly a very productive person. You know, you're podcasting, you're writing books, you and not to mention you're training for for Ironman triathlons. Which you know, when I when I did Ironman France, I was doing 20 to 25 hours a week of training before I started to learn that you could do it in less. So what's your sort of overall you know productivity attack method for for getting all this stuff done? And being, and being a father. 
Now, I've, I've got a lot of methods. I love methods and, and systems. I, I actually was just teaching a webinar yesterday about 10 different methods that I use for kind of keeping my, my email inbox at, at zero inbox. Uh, but, you know, as far as like the overarching method, probably the most important thing that I do is I have each day and a, a bucket assigned to each day. So, I use Evernote for this. So Monday has an Evernote doc and Tuesday has an Evernote doc and Wednesday has one and so on down. And each day uh, is a collecting bucket for specific tasks. So, for example, Wednesday is podcast day. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays are days on which I do consults. Uh, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays are writing days. Um, Saturdays and Sundays specifically are days in which I review uh, files from clients and uh, you know, that, that means like I'm, I'm reviewing their, their workouts, their nutrition logs, things like that, because I do some one-on-one -on -one work with clients. Um, Mondays are my catch-all day, where if there's shiny pennies that, that I want to explore, articles I want to read, new websites and new tools I want to kind of experiment with, Mondays are my day for that. So by setting up each of these buckets, what I've found is that I'm able to keep myself less distracted and keep a more clear mind, because if something comes across my radar that is, say, uh, someone purchases a, a phone consult with me, uh, I automatically that gets uh, scheduled in iCal for, for a Tuesday or Thursday between 9 and noon. Uh, something comes across my desk that is related to an announcement I need to make on my podcast. That automatically goes into the Wednesday bucket. Somebody sends me an article full of 45 different social media tools and software that you can use to enhance your business or whatever. That goes into Monday's bucket so that I can explore that on Monday when I've allotted that free time. So from a from a work standpoint, each day has a has a bucket. And the same thing from a workout standpoint. You know, I, I know that Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays are my swim day and I have a, a specific plan set up for those days. And you know, Wednesdays is my weight training day and I have a specific plan set up for that. So that's the way that I work is, is I have to have each day categorized and then that way I never have this long running list of to-do tasks. Like I, that, that's what I used to do is I would just have one long list of things to do and I would go through as many things as I could and then kind of collapse exhausted at the end of the day having completed as many things checked off of that to-do list as I possibly could then start the to-do list back up the next day. Whereas now it's just you finish whatever happens to be in the bucket for that day and boom, you're done and, and you go play. And sometimes things take longer than others. You know, some days I'm working till 9 p.m. Some days I'm working till 3 p.m. You know, so it, it kind of depends on what I what I happen to have accomplished for that day and how how heavy the tasks for that particular day are for that week. So uh, so that's kind of how I do it. That's my system. I think that's great. Uh, that that goes along with what a lot of what I tell people, which is that you have to sort of batch like tasks together for the simple reason that we really can't multitask. I mean, I, I think actually you kind of mentioned the study about that on your last podcast, but it, people think they can multitask, but they really can't. So if you can sort of give yourself a little bit of tunnel vision, just focus on one thing for a little bit of time, that's that's really what it takes. And, and, and what I also like about your bucket method is that you're really, it seems like you're pretty much maintaining a clear mind at all times until you have to do something. Yeah, exactly. So you, you know, anytime anything comes across your radar, whether it's an email, an article, or a task, it's either something that you are addressing right then, meaning that it, I, I, 
I try not to use like the flag function in my email inbox too much. It's like if, if I'm checking email, that's my time to check email. And so, so for me, it's typically uh, like a noon, 5, and 9 p.m. scenario or a 9, noon, and 5 p.m. scenario for checking email. And I limit myself to about three times a day. Now, I know that when I check my email, I am actually checking my email. So I set up a good 30 to 60-minute time slot to be able to get down to zero inbox, respond to anything that needs to be responded to, and never look at any email more than one time. So the same can be said for, for articles. I'm either going to read that article right then or else it's going to get shoved into the bucket, you know, for the day on which that article belongs. Um, you know, it, everything, though, is accomplished with the idea that it's going to go into your head, get processed, and get out quickly. And so, you know, it's it's always one of those things where you're, you're, you're keeping a clear head and that's just the way you live life, and it, it's it's tremendous. And one of the important things that I want to reiterate there that you said for, for those listening and something that I've written about before is that part of being able to deal with this stuff, with anything that kind of comes your way, and email is a good example, is it's not just having systems in place or having, you know, somebody pre-screen your email or your calls or whatever. It's really knowing how you're going to route things that come in and where, what, you know, whether it's sending it to a virtual assistant or automatically forwarding it to this service or sending it, you know, to be put into a Tuesday bucket. Like, just having those those pathways at your disposal is what's really important about how you kind of manage the things that come your way. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, related to that, I, I use a lot of folders. You know, I use a lot of rules in my email inbox. I have, gosh, probably like 50 different rules set up so that every single email that comes in, I use Apple Mail um, just because I like to have my emails on my computer, not in the cloud, so that I can access stuff because I do a lot of travel on airplanes and I, I find myself, you know, on beaches, just working different places where I don't have Internet access. Um, so I keep everything on my computer, but I use Apple Mail. I have a ton of rules set up. Each email goes into a specific folder. And so when I check my email, so, for example, I'm, I'm working on crowdsourcing the design for my next book right now through 99designs. And that means that over the past couple of days, I've had to do a lot of communication with graphic designers from 99designs. And in many cases, I need to check my email to see if a message has come in from from different individuals who are working on the book cover. Well, I create a 99designs folder and set up a, a rule in Apple Mail that every email that comes in that has any word in the body, 99designs, it's going to go into that folder. So now if I check my email more than my allotted three times during the day to kind of be communicating with these designers who are uh, working on the project, I'm not distracted by emails from other people because I can just, when I check my email, only be checking that 99designs folder and nothing else. So I'm not distracted by anything else. So that's that's something that I use quite frequently when I'm working on tasks for which I know I'm going to need to check email more often is I'll, I'll check, but then I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm only checking that one folder where I'm looking for the important message to come in that I have a rule set up for to send the email to that folder. Right. So, yeah, so filtering out that noise and, you know, and, and yeah, some, exactly. you know, differentiating between the essential and the optional. So I love that. So you, you're, you're clearly producing a lot of content, you know, and, and I know that, you know, having that clear mind is one of the things that really makes you be able to do that, but, and, and having all this, these methodologies in place, but th so then, which enables you to do the podcasting and the writing, but 
you know, like me, you're also a father and a husband. And, you know, I, I know you have twins just like I do, right? That's right. Twin power. Twin power. And they are, uh, you have two boys, right? Yeah, my boys are five and I, I, I homeschool slash unschool them. Right. Okay. So that's something that I really, you, you, that was the next thing on my list. So, and, and just for those listening, you know, I, I have two five month olds or twins and a 21 month old named Ben, actually. So, uh, three boys and you got your two boys and that's a, it's, it's an interesting experience in the household. I, uh, I, I've, I recently have been thinking that I need to change my job title to penis detailer because <laughs> I, I think that pretty much all I do all day is clean penises. Um, I don't know if I have to bleep that out, but um, <laughs> I don't know if you have to bleep that out either. But um, uh, just just an aside, totally random thought that probably no podcast listener would thought they'd be hearing us speak about right now. But are they circumcised? Yes, they are. Okay, and you're still cleaning penises. Wow, <laughs> amazing. Well, you know the, the poop goes everywhere, so yeah, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. So there, I got your favorite topic in here. You, there we go. We've worked in circumcision and penises already, and poop. Um, so. First on the Less Doing Podcast, yes. So homeschooling, how the hell do you fit in homeschooling? So we use a curriculum called Five in a Row, and we combine that with utilizing a lot of local field trips and local sporting opportunities and teams for our kids. So let me give you – well, today will be a perfect example, actually. So um, I, I do math, and Thursdays is our math day. And what that means is that with our five-in-a-row curriculum that we use, what that means is that we have one story that we read to the kids every day for five days in a row each week. The story this week is a pair of red clogs, which is a story that takes place in Japan. So we've been teaching our kids about Japanese culture all week. Uh, for example, Monday night, they helped mom make sushi. We had a traditional Japanese dinner, sitting cross-legged in the living room, you know, doing miso soup and sushi, listening to Japanese music. And, you know, another thing they did that day was they, they worked with Japanese calligraphy and uh, found Japan on the globe and worked with Japan geography, stuff like that. So each day you're you're focusing on aspects from that story. But anyways, to focus on today, there's a point in the story where the, the little Japanese girl goes to the market and she is there looking at shoes, seeing, you know, the price of shoes and, and seeing these red clogs. And so today for our math lesson, uh, the boys are going to be setting up a market. Now, I like to take things to the next level in, in my homeschooling. So what I'll be doing is we're going to set up a market. Each of them are going to get to choose five toys that they own. And they're going to get to price those toys. They need to select toys of varying value, and they're going to learn how how pricing works, basically how you place a different value on an item based off of how important that item might be to you or to someone else. And then we'll take photographs of each of the five items that they choose with their, with my iPhone, and then I'll teach them how to list each of those items on Craigslist and eBay. They'll sell them. They'll get money. And they'll learn pricing, they'll learn math, they'll learn value, they'll learn market, and it's all tied into this book that we're reading during the week. Now, that entire process will take us about an hour this afternoon to do. I mean, in terms of them setting up the toys, us taking photographs, and then putting them online, and that's that's their homeschooling. It's my portion of the homeschooling. Now, Mom, today we'll be working on them a little bit with handwriting, a little bit with art, so there'll be some other portions. But generally, for me, it comes out to about an hour to an hour and a half 
um, there'll be another half hour that I spend with them before bed where I'll be teaching them some, some ethical lessons from the story. And we're going to be talking about, um, telling the truth because that's another big component. And I usually work on more of kind of like a, like a, a moral lesson later on in the evening before bed. Um, tomorrow, for example, what we'll be doing is learning more about, uh, where Japan is. Um, specifically that it, that it is an Eastern country. We'll be learning about the direction East. I'm going to be teaching them how to use a compass. We're going oh, wow. to go up to our land and I'm going to set up a few little pieces of candy at various points out in the forest and teach them how to orienteer their way to each of those points. So it's a, it's a combination of traditional kind of schooling learning methods, uh, combined with storytelling and story learning combined with just getting out there and doing stuff. So um, that's that's the way I do it. I find it fun. I find it motivating. You know, for me, the commitment is about an hour to an hour and a half each day, and um, you know, I, I can do that. That's that's a that's a doable chunk of time for me. So, I mean, it, it, time or not, I mean, I think that's an amazing commitment that you made. That are they going to continue homeschool throughout, or do you think that they'll go to uh, quote unquote normal school at some point? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was personally homeschooled K through 12 and what happened when I got old enough to where kind of like there were, there was stuff like, you know, for example, I don't want to relearn calculus and have to teach that to my kids. So when the time comes, I'll use online resources. I'll use resources like Khan Academy, Khan Academy is like, awesome. like iTunes education platform. I'll use private tutors when necessary. You know, for example, I want them to learn music, but I don't know how to play piano and guitar is a little bit too big for them at five years old. So three times a week, they have a piano instructor who comes to our house in the morning and takes them each through a 30 minute piano lesson on our home keyboard. So things like that, we just get, you know, lessons for. And, you know, as they get older, there'll be more and more of that going on. But also as they get older, I would like for them to be able to kind of do more of that unschooling approach where they're learning things that they want to learn on their own, uh, you know, and, and going out and just doing that. You know, for example, if if they take a keen interest in, in dinosaurs when they're seven, well, you know, they're, they're going to get to, you know, go to the library and research books on dinosaurs and they'll go to the museum and, you know, we'll do dinosaur trips and stuff like that. But as they get older, you know, that their, their interest might get bent more towards exploring, traveling, marketing, you know, business, things of that nature. And I'm going to, I'm going to be pretty flexible with allowing them to, to chase what they want to chase while retaining a slight amount of structure. Uh, but ultimately I'll be using, you know, tutors and, and blogosphere and things of that nature and never actually sending them to like a traditional school. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the approach. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, you know, we're a little a little early since uh, my oldest Ben is only 21 months. But first of all, every time that there's any kind of like school shooting or bullying incident, we both my wife and I look at each other and we're like we're we're homeschooling them. And uh, second of all, I, I never liked school. My uh, mm. my wife was not particularly thrilled about school, and it was always because I felt like I wasn't getting to learn the things I wanted at the pace I wanted. So I'm trying. I, we try to be very cognizant of it. So it's really cool to see somebody who's uh, is doing this, but, you know, at the same time being successful in all these other arenas in their life and, and, and showing that you don't have to, you know, it, 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 I don't even want to say it this way, but that you don't have to give up things, other things in order to give your kids an appropriate education. So right. it's, it's, that's, it's very inspiring to hear that. 
Uh, so let's let's sort of shift a little bit into wellness now, but I want to do that by talking about biohacking first. So I, you know, I, I was sick and I had a disease, and that was sort of how I came at biohacking. And and less doing is all about reducing stress so that stress doesn't affect inflammatory levels and things like Crohn's and and whatnot. You were not sick. You were just into fitness. Like, you you learned all of these methods, and a lot of the stuff that you recommend, actually, I, I mean, I, I think that the majority of the stuff that I hear you recommend is very natural stuff, and it's, it's sort of on the alternative medicine side, but there's always good research to back it up. So what kind of biohacking have you gone through, you know, personally, and what are some of your favorites? So most of my my biohacks are based off of the fact that I do Ironman triathlon, but I also have a lot of other hobbies and passions and interests. And so I've found that I need to figure out ways to get fitter more quickly, to recover more quickly, and to stay as healthy as possible so I'm so I'm able to train consistently and not miss training days. Those are three huge components if you want to take on kind of a minimalist training protocol and do as I do, which is train about eight to ten hours a week for Ironman Triathlon. So, for example... I, know, I would like to point out to everybody that your last Ironman you did in a time in 9.36, right? Yeah, it was a 9.36 yeah. on a, on uh, honestly uh, a very difficult course. I, I feel that it was probably one of my personal bests when you look at the actual difficulty of that course that was Ironman Canada in Whistler. Right, but my uh, point is that this isn't someone who's recommending minimalist training and then they're barely making the uh, the swim cutoff. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I um I, I go out there to try and, and place, you know, in, in, in podium in my division and, you know, win, win a lot of races here locally, like half Ironman events and things of that nature, uh, and, and use these type of methods. So uh, I do quite a bit of um, high-intensity interval training combined with biohacks, such as electrostimulation and isometric training to enhance the amount of lactic acid that builds up in my muscle, you know, to maximize lactic acid. So I'm maximizing lactic acid buffering capacity. Uh, and I, I do a lot of overspeed training, meaning high, high cadence training, like a treadmill training on a slight downhill or, you know, running on the golf course on a slight downhill for overspeed combined with uh, underspeed training, mashing gears, doing lots of hill training, that type of thing. I work physical activity into every day. So every day, you know, for example, I've got a pull-up bar in the door of my office. Every time I walk under, I do five pull-ups. By the end of every day, I've done at least 50 pull-ups. I stand all day long at a standing workstation. Uh, I have, you know, an inversion table out in my garage that I'll go hang from to kind of drain my legs at the end of the day from having done that. But I've got all these little things around my house that allow me to enhance my fitness without necessarily going out and riding a bicycle for four hours in a row or running for two hours. Uh, also, from a from a nutritional standpoint, I, I take out a lot of biohacks too. For example, metabolic efficiency is incredibly important to me for my goals as an Ironman triathlete. So I follow a mostly ketotic diet in which I'm really not eating more than about 100 grams of carbs for any given day. I take supplements like uh, oxaloacetate, which allow my body to convert lactic acid into glucose more quickly so that even though I'm not eating many carbs, my body is kind of making its own sugar from the byproduct of muscular contractions. 
Uh, and I, I use other proven supplements as well, you know, such as a, a high quality fish oil. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of colostrum as another really good supplement. I use a lot of uh, Chinese adaptogenic herbs as more of like a, a neurotropic brain enhancing supplement so I can get through, through work more quickly. Um, and, and then finally, from just a lifestyle standpoint, I take a lot of steps to make sure that my, my cells are tuned and, Specifically, this comes down to a little bit of the, the photoelectric effects uh, and the electromagnetic effects of certain fields and their ability to change the rate at which your cells vibrate. And so, for example, I, I have a structured water filter, and I, every drop of water that I drink is structured and, and tuned to a certain vibratory frequency. Uh, my wireless router gets turned off at night, and I, uh, I you know, use uh, EMF blocking pads on my computer, on my phone, and, you know, just try and mitigate uh, electromagnetic frequencies as much as possible. That's just one example of, of, you know, a lifestyle hack. But putting it all together, really the ultimate initial kind of selfish goal for me was to be able to train as little as possible, staying as fit as possible, and recovering as fast as possible. And so that was my initial motivation for biohacking. And now for me, it's ju it's just as much about health and longevity as well. So these, I mean, those, those are all awesome recommendations, and it makes for sort of a whole picture of what you go through. There were a few things there that I want to I wanna expand on a little bit. So the first one is the overspeed training. So the, you know, running downhill, running down, you know, on a decline on a treadmill, it's tough on your knees, right? Uh, no, it's actually not tough on your knees. Uh, it, it's tougher on your knees to run outdoors, downhill, on pavement. But short overspeed efforts on a treadmill or short ever overspeed efforts on like a soft surface like grass on a golf course, those are not really all that hard on your knees. And what one, thing to, uh, one thing to remember, though, uh, is that I, I, I personally only run twice a week. So... I'm really not beating up my joints that much anyways. I have one high-intense interval session that I'll do that will include something like that overspeed training, and then I have one 60 to 90-minute more focused run that I do that's, like, kind of comprised of, of intervals at approximately race pace. So I only run twice a week. I, I personally haven't found that I get much faster at all by running more often than twice a week, and, and my body gets beat up more. So if you're running five times a week, then, yeah, downhill training would probably beat up your knees a little bit more than than it's doing to me because I've got a lot of recovery time. What it does is it trains your nervous system how to recruit muscles more quickly, so you're able to train yourself to run at higher cadences. So uh -huh. a, cadence, a cadence of 90-plus is extremely efficient when you're running or when you're bicycling, but it's kind of hard to train your body to do that unless you include a few efforts that go over and above 90 RPM. It's the same concept behind weight training. For example, going into the gym and doing heavy squats. It may not make sense initially when you look at it logically for, say, like a cyclist to be in a gym doing five reps of a squat when, in reality, a cyclist during a ride is doing 5,000, 15,000, 50,000 repetitions. But the idea is that by doing a, a five-rep squat in a gym, you're teaching your body to recruit a higher number of motor units and muscle fibers per contraction so that when you take that out into, say, like a cycling race, every time your, your foot's turning over in a pedal stroke, you're grabbing more muscles 
And you've trained yourself how to do that by doing just, you know, short, heavy five rep sets at the gym. Similar with the overspeed training. You're simply training your body how to activate the nervous system more quickly for a higher cadence. And so even if during an overspeed training session, your cadence is getting up to 100, 110, 120, maybe you're riding a, a free uh, a free gear bike or, you know, you're, you're doing some mountain biking and riding at a cadence of like 150, what that's going to do is make riding or running at a cadence of 90 much easier once you get into like a competition scenario. Okay, I see. So now what, with one question that I have about the minimalist training, because I'm all for it and I, and I learned so much about it, I never got to sort of play around with this because my a lot of my motivation was the the pain of Crohn's. But how do you train the mental aspect? You know, of being able to do something for nine plus hours. So there's some interesting research out there. Alex Hutchinson on uh, the Runner's World blog that he runs recently did a pretty good article on this about how training your body to exercise when it's in a state of mental fatigue can be extremely important in overriding the central governor and your brain's natural tendency to want to shut the body down at an earlier stage than you would prefer for it to shut the body down. So um, what that means is that, for example, uh, you can exercise, but time an exercise session where you're in a state where maybe exercising is a little bit harder than it might be mentally when you're rolling out of bed first thing in the morning. So I do most of my workouts at four, five, six o'clock in the evening. Not only has that been a time that, that can has been shown to improve your, your ability to work out at a at a harder effort, but it's also frankly the end of the day when I am a little bit mentally tired and I do have to overcome a little bit more um mental resistance to exercise. And so that's one way in which I, I train my mind to work out and, and be able to handle some of the mental fatigue. Um, another thing that I do is quite a bit of kind of like meditation and focused alpha brainwave training. I use a heart rate variability monitor uh, called Sweetbeat on an iPhone app to monitor my ability to achieve a high heart rate variability, a high state of, of alpha wave kind of focused relaxation. And so I typically will do that for about five to ten minutes each morning where I'm simply focusing intensely on in feelings of, of gratitude and, and relaxation and love. And that might sound kind of woo-woo and airy-fairy, but you can draw upon those same type of emotions when you're out riding your bike for five hours during a race and kind of get that same type of alpha brainwave activation and allow yourself to kind of get into the zone. Um, you know, another thing that I think is incredibly important is simply having a why. And for me, if I have a why that helps me out quite a bit when I'm out there in a race and I'm, you know, seven, eight hours in and I'm, you know, already, you know, four hours longer than I've ever gone in any training session. I have to have a reason why. For me, you know, my reason why part of it is business related. I, you know, improving my ability to do well in something like an Ironman triathlon, I verify that the, you know, the products that I'm selling for something like doing well in an Ironman triathlon really are built upon a platform of knowing what I'm talking about. So if I suck at a race, that doesn't reflect very well on, you know, my products that I'm creating for, for training. Uh, so that, that's one reason why for me. Another reason why for me is to be a good example to my boys, to show them how to stick to it, to show them how to, how to be persistent, how to have endurance, how to, how to be, you know, a, a, a man of character and not break into, you know, a walk when the going gets tough. 
um, you know, an, another reason why is simply extrinsic motivation of me wanting to impress others. I've always had this drive to want to not show off as much as kind of come off as, as like an alpha male, as somebody who is respected because of my ability to achieve feats of physical endurance. And so for me, a big, big part of it is just not wanting to be um, embarrassed to kind of like have a, have a, you know, all show them type of attitude that I really can do this and do a dang fine job at it. And so, you know, that's another big reason why for me. And, you know, so the, those are, those are some of the little things that I use, um, you know, and, and I've never really had a problem, um, ha, you know, with, with only doing short training sessions, but still being able to go out there and do like, you know, a, a nine or 10 hour day for, for something like Ironman. Yeah. I, I, I have to say that, it, finding that motivation sometimes is one of the best parts of what I get out of working with individual clients because, you know, sometimes I get lucky and somebody comes to me with an illness already or a problem that they need to overcome and that sort of helps them. But it, it's it's really funny when you see somebody, when it sort of clicks that it's okay if you push it a little bit harder. You're not going to die. And if you do throw up, it's okay. Like you're going to, you'll, you'll live, you know. It's like uh, in Pumping Iron with, with Schwarzenegger when he's like, yeah, I've passed out of the gym. I've thrown up and I've passed out of the gym. But that's, you know, that's how you get, you wake up stronger. So uh, it, it's funny when you find that like mental edge for people and, and that's yeah, right. It's like, um, it's like Nassim Talib's book, Antifragile. It's yeah. Like we're, we're really used to being comfortable it's okay to be uncomfortable. And I think, I think some people do need to go to the pain cave a little bit more. And I don't mean when I say go to the pain cave. <laughs> I love that. I don't, yeah, I, I don't mean that, that you're going to go out and pound the pavement for an hour during lunch break every day at, at like a six or a seven on a scale of one to ten. I mean, like you learn how to dig deep, deep and go truly to the pain cave where lactic acid is coming out of your eyeballs for these short, intense training sessions. And frankly, that is going to prepare you mentally much, much better than just going out and kind of going at a at a moderate to slightly hard pace for an extended period of time, which in my opinion is just junk miles or what I call black hole training, where you're really not getting much benefit mentally or physically out of the effort. Well, I, I like the, the pain cave analogy. I actually call it Shawshanking, where you're uh, you're, you're going through the uh, the sewage pipe, and then you know the result is freedom at the other end. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, just for a, a nice image. But uh, so one of the other things that you mentioned before that I just want to touch on briefly is, uh, can you tell people what adaptogenic herbs are and how you use them? Mm. So I use a supplement called Tian Chi, which is a Chinese adaptogenic herb complex that basically is the equivalent of about 40 pounds of herbs kind of compressed into one tiny packet that I dump into a glass of water each morning. Adaptogenic herbs are, uh, they're, a, they're an Asian tonic designed to enhance your adrenal gland function. So, for example, if you are low on cortisol, it will tend to increase your cortisol just slightly to improve, like, motivation and wakefulness in the morning. Or if you're high on cortisol, it, as an adaptogen, um, will allow you to adapt and lower cortisol a little bit more efficiently so that you're turning out less epinephrine and, and corticosteroids. Um, I've got a uh, got a, a, a video somewhere on my website on Chinese adaptogenic herbs, but the the formulation that I use is made by a guy named Roger Drummer down in Portland, Oregon, and it's you know it hasn't been sitting in big bins in China for years, getting sprayed with ethylene oxide. It's just a super pure, potent herbal complex, 
and it's what I use not only as a, a neurotropic, um, which is basically like a, a brain-enhancing supplement that crosses the blood-brain barrier and improves focus because it's got like club moss extract and ginkgo biloba and some stuff like that in it. But I also use it as a as an adaptogen for my adrenal glands. So um, I'm a huge, huge fan of adaptogenic herbs, and it's it's definitely one of my secret weapons when it comes to productivity, focus, health, uh, mitigating stress, things of that nature. Go okay, gotcha. So. Which, which is, and, and you take that as sort of a daily supplement. So, what 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 are the supplements that you do take every day? So, every day I take uh, fish oil, unless I am actually eating uh, wild caught fish, or unless I'm doing like sardines. So, typically there's it's it's about three to five days of the week that I'm using fish oil, and I use a good high quality cold process triglyceride based fish oil that's packaged with antioxidants, so it's not you know, laden with free radicals and a lot of the other issues that tend to pop up with fish oil. So I do a fish oil uh, in the winter. I do a vitamin D because my sun exposure goes down. So I will do uh, basically like a liquid-based vitamin D, like a Carlson's vitamin D drop. Um, what else do I take? I do the Chinese adaptogenic herb complex. Um, I will – some of my stuff is occasional. Like I will – I keep a chlorella supplement on hand and will occasionally use chlorella um, as well as activated charcoal if I've eaten, for example, meats that, that I am not sure of the source of or that might be laden with toxins. So I use those as a natural binder, as a natural detox. Um, and that's, again, just occasionally. Um, I use uh, sea salt pretty liberally, uh, Himalayan or an Aztecan sea salt, depending on what I can get my hands on, just because of the, the number of trace minerals that you'll find in that. It's also really good for your adrenals and for your uh, for your muscles, for your nerves. Um, I use a, uh, a, a pretty high-dose antioxidant supplement, uh, specifically before I go into polluted areas or before I go and, for example, swim in chlorinated water. Um, you know, what it comes down to, Ari, is I keep certain things on hand in my refrigerator that I use as kind of like sniper weapons. So I, I use supplements when the time is necessary and when they make sense and not necessarily as like a big shotgun each day. So really the only thing that I would that I take as like a, a shotgun supplement each day would be like that Chinese adaptogenic herb complex that I talked about. Um Sea salt would be like an everyday for me. Um, what else do I use every day? Uh, on days where I do like that high-intensity interval training, I use oxaloacetate so that I get that increased conversion of, of lactic acid into glucose. Um, days when I know that my immune system has been compromised or have been exposed to flu or cold, I'll use an echinacea, golden seal, oregano, essential oil mix that I take sublingually. Uh, but, but again, you know, hopefully you're getting the idea here. I've got a bunch of stuff that I keep on hand, a bunch of tools that I that I have available as supplements, but it's not like I open my cupboard and take everything every day. It's like you use specific supplements for specific life circumstances that you're in or to cover specific holes that you might have in your diet that day, but it's not like I have this huge handful of pills that I take every morning when I get up. It's just like a few things here and there based off of what my needs happen to be for that day. 
Yeah, I, I really, really like that. I'm, I'm actually I'm exactly the same way. I have a whole cabinet full of stuff, and I I typically take a probiotic every day and a vitamin D most days. But some some days I'll take fish oil or not, depending on if I'm going to eat it. But it also, if I know I'm going to have like a really heavy meeting day or something, I'll usually take uh, Alpha Brain or something of that sort, some sort of more of the nootropic. Right. But it, it, it basically, once you have like a clean system, you sort of learn what you need and when you need it. So one of the last questions I want to ask before we start to wrap up is coming back to the kids. I, I love when people are talking about biohacks and talking about wellness and stuff, and they're always like single guys. Uh, so when you put kids into the mix, especially, well, there's all sorts of things that change, obviously, but I want to talk about sleep. You know, so... Mm-hmm. It's really easy to be like, oh yeah, you know, I can I can maximize my my sleep effort in five hours or whatever. But you know, when a kid wakes up at two in the morning uh, unexpectedly, and you have to deal with that, and you don't really have a choice, you have to deal with that. You know, how do how do you sort of bounce back from that kind of thing, or how do you manage for that unpredictability? With right. Kids? So so lack of sleep, primarily what you're looking at, the, what you're going to feel the next day is the lack of neuronal repair that was allowed to take place, which is the primary mechanism that occurs during sleep. Uh, essentially, your, your core temperature drops, your nervous system begins to repair itself, you wake up and you've reformed or repaired neurons and you, you know, worked, worked your memory um, you know, or, or formed memories, you've enhanced your ability to be able to relearn the next day. And when you when you get interrupted or short sleep, usually the biggest thing that you're going to feel is that lack of neuronal repair. So, uh, you know, in a situation like that, there are a few little hacks that you can use. Um, I'm a big, big fan of high-dose curcumin on any days where you get lack of sleep. So I'll use like 1,000 to 1,500 milligrams of curcumin in the morning. That's a pretty potent brain anti-inflammatory, which can actually help you to feel pretty good when you've had a, a low night of sleep. And then I'll also use those adaptogenic herbs that I talked about. Um, to get myself back into a deep sleep cycle as quickly as possible after waking, I use uh, what's called pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. This is a magnet. Uh, it's called an earth pulse that I put underneath my mattress. And you may be familiar with the concept of grounding or earthing, which Absolutely. is the idea where you stand barefoot on the ground, you lay on the ground, and the natural magnetic field of the earth kind of draws negative ions or, or uh, infuses negative ions into your body. And uh, it's, it's kind of a natural anti-inflammatory. And uh, this is like that on steroids. Uh, it, it draws you into a deep sleep cycle extremely quickly so that after you've woken, you, you get back to sleep very, very fast when you put this thing on in, in what's called sleep mode or recover mode. That's another strategy that I'll use. Um, I, of course, you know, keep things as dark as possible in the bedroom. I use a, a white noise app. Uh, lately, I've been using more of a binaural beat app put out by a company called Mind Valley. It's called Dormio. It's simply a sleep app. You'll need to have headphones in if you use that. Um, I don't like the fact that headphones, because I'm a side sleeper, that kind of dig into my ears. So I use uh, uh, these things called sleep phones, which are like um, soft headphones that don't actually dig into your ears when you're sleeping on your side. So you use something like that with the Dormio sleep app. And that'll lull you into a deep sleep cycle. It's not so loud that you can't hear your kids crying and stuff like that, though. Um, let me think. Those are those are some of the biggies. Uh, if you really, really just if, if 
you know that you're going to get the opportunity to get a good night's sleep or you need to push the reboot button on your circadian rhythm, I'm a big, big fan of melatonin sleep patches. Not not liquid melatonin or oral melatonin, but the actual patches that you place on, like, your inner thigh or, for, you know, the inside of your arm or an area of high blood flow, and those can really, really help to restore your circadian rhythm should you get lucky enough to actually have someone offer to watch the kids for the night and you just decide you're going to sleep for 12 hours. You know, you put one of those things on and, and you're going to be out like a light. So those are those are some of the little hacks that I use. That's, those are excellent suggestions. Uh, and I, I would just say to everybody listening that uh, you should probably watch for more uh, parenting hacks that uh, Ben and I might be coming up with in the future, right? Yeah, Ari and I have been talking uh, we, we both have our own perspectives on productivity and, and biohacks and just like better living through science and better living through through lifestyle hacks. And uh, we, uh, at this point in both of our lives, with me getting ready for Ironman Hawaii and him, uh, him dealing with his youngins, we're, we're putting this off a couple of months, but uh, we have some, some plans in the works to kind of take some of our methods and package them a little bit more efficiently than just a podcast. And we're going to be working on kind of like a little, little ebook package for, for folks who want to learn some more about our parenting methods, specifically our parenting uh, hacks. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about, about churning that out here uh, in a couple of months. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty pumped for that too. So on that note, let's wrap up. My last question that I always ask everybody is, and I mean, you've given us so much great information and we've covered quite a few topics actually, but if you could just tell me the top three things that are your, your personal productivity tips or just the, the top three things that make you more effective every day. Mm. Uh, number one would be a morning habit. You've got X mm-hmm. number of mornings in your life that you get to live and Every single morning for me is a real, real treat. I wake up, I put on my little heart rate variability monitor, and as that logs my nervous system, I do my meditation, I do a little bit of reading, I do a little bit of journaling, and I wait until I, I you know, it's, it's a good a good 10 minutes or so from the time I wake up to the time I'm actually getting out of bed. There's no email, there's no texting, or nothing like that. It's just like my time. And then from there, I've still got a little bit of yoga that I do, some deep breathing, my nice cup of coffee. Morning routine, super important to ground you every single morning. Preferably find a routine that you can keep up when you travel if you're someone who travels a lot so so that, you know, life doesn't get crappy when you travel. So your morning routine is the same whether you're traveling or whether you're at home. Um, number two would be uh, to eat food that has a lot of really, really good what's called biophotonic energy, meaning food that's been exposed to sun, to good levels of water, to uh, environmental stimulation, and get your hands on it fresh every day if you can. We have gone out of our way to dig up our entire backyard and turn it into a giant garden so I can walk back there and get kale and tomatoes and greens. Everything. Um, and even though that's a little bit more difficult to do in the winter, um, during the times of the season when you can get your hands on fresh food and go out of your way to eat fresh food at, week, at, at least once per day, uh, we have only scratched the surface in terms of what we've learned in science about the specific uh, literally what's called biophotonic energy, and you can Google that term if you want to learn more about it, but the idea of getting 
uh, energy and essentially what you can think of as life force from fresh food that's been exposed to the planet. So go out of your way every single day to get get fresh, life-giving food, um, preferably as, as fresh as possible in most cases. Um, number three, I would say, um, would be to be uncomfortable at least once per day. For me, what that involves is that I take an icy cold shower at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. And of course, I also do some of these harder things, like I, I make sure that I'm doing, you know, high intensity interval training and some pain cave sessions with my workouts and, you know, uh, allowing myself, you know, I do a lot of intermittent fasting where I'll inject like 16 hour periods of no eating throughout the week uh, and, and occasionally longer than that. But it's okay to expose your body to brief levels of discomfort. And many of us living in westernized society, we're not used to cold showers. We're not used to going hours and hours and hours without eating. But by exposing your body to these brief levels of discomfort, you're going to make yourself, you know, again, I'll pull up that word, anti-fragile. You're going to improve your longevity. You're going to improve your ability to focus. You're going to improve your toughness. You're going to turn yourself into just a little bit more of kind of, kind of somebody with the ability to scrap and to survive. So I would say um, those would be those would be my my big three um, would be uh, being uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> what were the other ones? Morning routine and, That's right. and healthy foods. I love All it. Right. Morning routine, eat real energy giving food and then be uncomfortable at least once a day. That's great. I, I love those. So, Ben, where should they where should people go to find out everything they could ever want to possibly know about you? BenGreenfieldFitness.com. Great. Well, Ben, thank you again so much for your time. This has been my favorite interview I've ever done, so uh, I, I can't wait to see the, the next podcast. Awesome, and, and best of luck with those twins. You too. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast with Ari Mizell. For more ways to make everything in your life easier, head over to lessdoing.com and also on Twitter at twitter.com slash Ari Mizell or Facebook at facebook.com slash lessdoing. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to head over to iTunes and leave a positive review. It's greatly appreciated. You can learn the art of less doing, getting started with biohacking, and how to make Gmail, IFTTT, and virtual assistants your ultimate productivity toolbox at udemy.com slash less doing. Until next time, keep optimizing, automating, and outsourcing everything you do.